This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Today, we have a special guest in the studio. Matt Diavella is here. A.K.A. The Italian styling. That is true. I did not come up with that. I just want to make the record clear. That was something that you guys gave me as a nickname, and I have not forced you to say that. <laughs> okay, I confirm that that piece of information. <laughs> Thank you. Your money will be in the mail. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about success. We're going to talk about habit change. We're going to talk about letting go of stuff. And of course, we're going to talk about our new film, yeah. which is out this Friday. Woo! Congratulations, Matt Diavella. Good work, man. Congratulations to you guys. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> Four years later. I know. It took so long. Yeah. Well, actually, th that, th let's talk about that real quick. By the way, the new film, it's on Netflix this Friday, January 1st, 2021. It's called Less Is Now. It's a documentary. It's a special. It's a docu-special. It's all of these things. It's mm -hmm. none of these things. And Matt, when you were editing the film... There was a line initially at the beginning. The very first line, in fact, was while we were on the road, and it was me talking to Ryan or someone, and I said, you know, we've been doing this for the last six years, and I, and I emailed you, like, Matt, we have to, like, overdub this line or something. This film, it, it's 10 years now. Mm. And you're like, and you just email, emailed me back, and you said, the moment I realized I've been working on a film for four years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it definitely catches up to you. I think that uh, this project was certainly unique in that uh, it has evolved so much mm. since the very beginning. Like, I think the core structure of the film, like the message and everything that w really ended up becoming the film is still there, um, but we had to kind of have a go at it two or three times before yeah. we really found it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that, I don't think we could have imagined it coming out as good as it did when no. we first oh started. No. And, I, and I think I'm just glad that we didn't settle because it would have been easy yep. to say, all right, this version is good enough. Let's just ship it. And I think that's difficult for any creative or any filmmaker to really know what the difference is and mm -hmm. how to not get stuck in perfectionism. But I think we found the right balance and we got the right feedback early on from the right people. Yeah. Um, and we also just trusted our gut to be able to yeah. say, all right, we need to keep working at this thing until it's right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took four years, but I'm glad it did. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the first two or three versions, it was like, you know, you did an amazing job with the footage we gave you but my gut was like yeah this is this is okay like this will pass this will pass and then you know however many versions later like now i f watch it and i'm like oh yeah this is good 
Like, yeah. I feel really, really good about and it. And we've been through this before yes. with the first documentary. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't new territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anytime it's very different from doing the YouTube videos or even a podcast like we create all the time mm-hmm. where you you create and you ship, you create and you ship and you keep going. But mm-hmm. when you're creating a piece that you want to last, hopefully a lifetime, hopefully for the next couple decades yeah. to impact people's lives it's really worth it to make sure you're doing it in a way that you feel happy with and you feel like is really going to resonate with people. Yeah, it's hard to um, compare it to minimalism or first documentary. And it's not, I don't really compare less is now with minimalism, but what I do compare is how I feel about the movie. And I'll tell you, with with minimalism, the very first uh, cut that he sent, mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, like I don't know how he did it, but there's a story here and it's amazing. And it was really, uh, it was just really moving. Um, and the, th- that's the feeling that, you know, I was hoping to get from this film. And it wasn't until like these last two or three cuts that I finally started to get that where I'm like, oh yes, we did it. Yeah. 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 And I, and I would say too, that like, there was a lot at stake. There was a bit of pressure because we are telling your story mm-hmm. in a way that hasn't been told before. Mm-hmm. And this is something like a message that you've been sharing for, you said, over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, a lot of that story is in minimalism, but this goes deeper into a new level that we haven't yet brought to light. And so mm-hmm. I think we just really wanted to make sure that we told your story in a way that um, was true and accurate and that would actually help people who watch it. Dude, you killed it, man. Bravo. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for it. We had a, it was a team effort. <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about the whole team because it's yeah. not just the three of us, for sure. Yeah. It, there's an entire team behind this, whether it's Tim and Jacob and Chris and, the, I mean, everyone who worked on sound. But I want to talk about the, the and everything else. There's so many people. You'll have to see the end credits to see how many people actually worked on this thing. Mm. I do want to talk about the process, though because it started as one thing we we kind of figured like hey you know what this is beginning of 2017 we'll just knock this out in about four months (laughs) and you so the first iteration you were actually you came out and we filmed in well all throughout the northeast but boston at the wilbur theater in particular so let's talk Mm -hmm. about that first iteration of this film well, I think it's funny because in the beginning, we started out very similar to how we started out minimalism, which was let's grab a camera, let's hit the road, and let's just see what we capture. And that happened to work really well for minimalism. But we were planning on shooting a different documentary, one that was really focused on this structural monologue, this piece where you guys are sharing your story in a very raw way and mm-hmm. talking about that journey. And so when we went out and hit the road, uh, it started to feel a little bit too much like the last film. And we also wanted to figure out ways, how can we elevate this story? How can we make it different and unique? And so you know, part of that was just capturing the talk that you guys gave in mm-hmm. these live environments. One of them was the Wilbur. I mean, from a very technical perspective, I think one of the biggest mistakes was like, well, one, we just didn't really invest a lot into it. It was almost as if we spread our investments out over a bunch of different shoots, where it was just two of us Mm -hmm. traveling around for for a couple weeks, just capturing what we could. Mm -hmm. And that's raw and it's gritty and it works. But like, if you're doing a film that's really like telling this story in a way that's a a monologue where you're delivering a large part of it to the camera, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's better to take all those resources and and compact it down to a couple days. And as you guys know, that eventually led to a couple of weeks of really intense production days where we had 12 hour production days for like two weeks straight where we really captured all these stories. I mean, the, the, it was just so cool to be able to rebuild it. And I don't know how, how you guys felt about it, but, and I don't know how much we can really talk about. I'm sure that some of it's going to be in the trailer, but this idea of like the 
going back and revisiting your past and mm. going back to the corporate offices and going back to like your childhood homes and recreating those elements. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but I, it, for me, I was like a bit emotional because I've been yeah. hearing your guys' story for so long and then here we are rebuilding it and retelling that story. Um, it felt very real to me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I found that as we were going through that whole process, we were kind of uncovering what this film was going to be. We had an initial conception, maybe not an expectation, but that changed considerably over the course of the last four years. So we went out, we filmed some live events. That didn't really work. It wasn't our, uh, didn't capture the right aesthetic. And so we did it again back in 20, was it 19? Beginning of 2019, yeah. we rented a abandoned warehouse and in South Central LA, we brought 300 people out twice and gave the talk, built a stage and gave this talk in a different space. And it still, it still didn't feel like what we yeah. were trying to create. In fact, the, the metaphor I've used is because we wanted to use the talk mixed with these documentary a aspects. I felt really good about what we filmed with the talk. Mm. It felt to me like a delicious piece of salmon. And then the documentary elements felt like this great piece of chocolate cake and then you just mixed them together and it was salmon chocolate cake and it just it didn't work how did you eventually figure out the way to make it work i think like anything it takes creating and then iterating you have to make that first version and then really gut check yourself and i think this came from all of us really sitting back and watching the film over and over again and really thinking about how we can make this thing better so yeah the first version was shot with two people in at the wilbur theater in boston and it was really flat and like two-dimensional and there really wasn't a lot there like <laughs> terrible audio there one camera was a red which the quality looked good but the other cameras were like mm. these like low rate dslr cameras and so that didn't work we eventually shot in this warehouse great cameras but we, it was very do-it-yourself mm -hmm. and yeah. so for me it felt like a cheap special like it didn't feel like it was truly special mm. and so we just you know i think one part of that is is us never really doing something like this before mm -hmm. um and also using a very limited budget mm -hmm. so there's a reason why comedy specials cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to make right is yeah. because like it really takes that much money to hire the right crew to hire the right cameras to really put together a team uh that's going to actually make something that's at that production level mm -hmm. now that was it's different from the first so the first film we had zero budget initially going into the film right mm -hmm. and this one we at first we're trying to shoestring it but what we realized is that as you said, it requires the whole team to make this. And so I think we ended up, and I can't divulge the number because of contracts and stuff, but we spent more on this film than I've ever spent on anything that we've ever produced yeah. at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. um, and it, none of it was frivolous. It was still very uh, frugal w with respect to everything we were doing, but it required something different because this film is not just the the Josh and Ryan story. It's not that at all. You did so much more in terms of expanding it mm. to it, Ryan and I are in it, but it apply. It feels like everyone's story in a way. Yeah, yeah I, I, and I think that uh, to to go on that trajectory, the we had that that film that was shot in a warehouse from us, and and it, it was okay. But then that's when we decided, like, I think that this can be a lot better, but we just need the budget. We just need the, the resources to be able to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and so then that's when we uh, approached Netflix and we're like, hey, this is what we shot. We know it's not great, 
but we have a vision for what it could be. And mm-hmm. if you see the same vision that we do, then I think we can really take this to the next level. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, they saw the vision through the dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we ended up um, teaming up. And then this that's how it became a Netflix original because they bought into this idea. Mm-hmm. And then with that budget, we were able to just put everything into these productions to, yes, to shoot the monologue in a really beautiful warehouse with amazing cameras and lights and all that stuff and a great crew that was just incredible to work with. Yeah. And then on top of that, we were able to add these documentary elements where we interview experts and we really dive deeper into this problem mm-hmm. than we ever had a chance to with minimalism. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for Netflix, how they saw our vision and they helped us bring it to fruition. Mm-hmm. They've been awesome to work with. Yeah. Well, the film is out January 1. Kick off your new year with less. It's called Less Is Now. We're going to talk a lot more about it on the Maximal episode. We're also going to talk to Matt about our history together. We've got a bunch of questions about the film for the Maximal episode as well. But I want to dive into some of these audience questions here today. Our first question is from Catherine in San Marcos, Texas. I'm a professional singer and voice teacher, and I would call myself a minimalist. I've already shedded things um, in my life that don't add any value. There are a couple of things that I do need to have in order to teach my students and in order to be a musician in general. And some of those things are a full-size 88-key keyboard, which is quite big and quite heavy, um, and also a collection of songbooks that I can't really digitize because I need to be able to write in them. And my students need to be able to have physical books to work out of. To be honest, I'm a little frustrated that I can't get rid of these items. They absolutely add value to my life. I mean, I need them in order to do what I do. But I'm finding myself getting rid of things right and left, and I'm wondering if I'm starting to develop an unhealthy obsession with just getting rid of things. What advice would you give to someone who is a minimalist but needs certain things in order to do, you know, whatever it is that they do? Maybe a mechanic who has a bunch of tools, um, a musician who has a piano. Any advice there, and am I going too far with wanting to just get rid of everything? So, Matt, it seems to me like we often confuse minimalism with asceticism or, or, or deprivation in a way. And I think that's where Catherine is right now. What would you tell someone like this? You get people who are commenting like this all the time on your YouTube channel. They're, mm. they're searching, they're exploring, and they're wondering, uh, am I going too far? Yeah. I think Catherine's not going far enough. I think she needs to get rid of the keyboard, get rid of the books, get rid of the students. You call yourself a minimalist, Catherine? <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously I go through this as a filmmaker. I mean, I think if you looked at my gear closet, you would say this guy is absolutely not a minimalist. Mm. He has four cameras and so many different lenses and uh, cards and little pieces of gear. It's funny, you guys talk a lot about just in case. And I think for most people, that's absolutely true. You you do not need to hold on to just in case items. Mm-hmm. But for plumbers and electricians and filmmakers, there's a lot of little gadgets and little pieces of gear that if you didn't have it on the shoot, there's so many different problems that you need to solve in the middle of a shoot where, oh, I need this piece of gear that's going to connect to this. And Mm -hmm. you're often like being very resourceful with the gear that you have. And so I think that um, sometimes we do need to have those things that we use once or twice a year. Uh, I mean, with the case of the keyboard and with the books and stuff, those are absolutely essential. Like that, she needs those to be able to do what she does. Mm -hmm. And same for me. I have camera gear that I absolutely need. Mm -hmm. Now, 
there are always going to be those things that that, that are kind of on the fringe, right? You have the essential. You mm-hmm. have what you absolutely need. For me personally, to make a video, I need a camera, I need a lens, I need a memory card, a battery, a computer, editing software, and like these are like the physical items that I need to actually make a video. But then you have the extra things you have the gimbal you have the drone you have the fog machine you have all these extra things that might make your videos cooler a little bit better and i think it it really takes you being honest with yourself about the kind of projects that you want to work on and it does sometimes uh, require you to make mistakes Mm. for instance i have a fog machine (laughs) (laughs) i bought this fog machine because for a couple videos right like you buy it because oh it's going to work really well for this and then you also come up with these excuses and reasons for why it's going to work for every other video that you're going to work on in the future Mm -hmm. and so i think it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to buy something that you maybe thought you you were going to need but then you have to revisit that and as you guys say all the time as our lives changes the things that we need change as mm-hmm. well and so we need to be able to reassess that in three months or six months and say hey do, do i actually still need this thing mm-hmm. and if not can i find somebody else who can actually get more value from it now yeah. you don't confuse what i love about you is you don't confuse the tools with the craft for you that those tools they amplify or enhance what you're doing but too often we get really excited about a thing everyone was 18 years old once or 15 and they started a business but really they bought a stapler and some file folders (laughs) and some business cards and they started a business without actually doing the things required to create you create and then you use tools to augment that. And in fact, I would not call those just in case items. I would call them just for win items. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd like to make that distinction because there are some things like you don't buy your toilet paper one square at a time or your toothpaste one nurdle at a time. You buy a, <laughs> a, a, a an entire tube or several tubes at a time because that makes sense and you're going to use it just for win. But I'm sure there's some film equipment that you have now that you will find out you're not using, and then you'll let it go. Yeah, I'm actually in the process of doing that right now and revisiting a lot of my gear. You know, I've got a couple GoPros and a drone. There's some things that we think that we need, but eventually it turns out that we were fooling ourselves. And that's where you have to be honest with yourself. Um, I think it, it would be helpful. I mean, there's also hundreds of things that I maybe thought I needed that I didn't buy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important because we really want to be responsible when it comes to the environment and the things that we're consuming and think about all the packages that you had to open up and all that stuff that you had to throw away or recycle. Um, and so I, I think really it's it's about looking at it in the long run, being really smart with our decisions. Um, I understand what Catherine is saying too about, she said, sometimes you just get so excited about that decluttering process and getting yeah. rid of things and like having as few items as possible that holding on to a big bulky keyboard or, I mean, I, I sometimes get frustrated with my own thing. Like I actually had 40 or 50 hard drives. I like, saw this. Po- huge oh, wow. amount of hard drives. They're, like It took up so much space in my closet. It was probably like 40, probably about 70 terabytes worth of footage. (laughs) And like, and also we're talking about, this is technology that was 10 years old. And so like the two terabyte drives are just as big as the 20 terabyte drives now. And so uh, I recently went through this process. Like that's been so frustrating for me as a minimalist to have it. And so I recently went through and I'm like, all right, can I actually start to take these hard drives and put them down onto even smaller drives and consolidate that stuff. But over the years, you just you, you can find a place to store it. You can find a place to organize it if you absolutely need the thing. Mm. Um, and hopefully that takes away from that that uh, disappointment of having <laughs> that extra clutter around the house. But truly, it's not really clutter if you're actually getting value from it. Totally. No, I love uh, how your story really speaks to how minimalism is not this like end destination. It is this tool that we use to constantly... Uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say pare down our life, but it's more than that. It's it's cultivating a mm. meaningful life. So, you know, Catherine, yeah, like if the stuff that you have right now, if it's appropriate for you, great. But tomorrow it might not be appropriate for you. Oh, and by the way, the deck the next day after that, you might need to buy something else to mm. uh, to enhance whatever it is that you're doing. Um, no, I, I think it's a great story. I think often about the red camera that you had. Yeah. About how it was um, this amazing camera. You were like, you know, this is it. And we used it a lot. And then I got to a point where you were like, I don't need this red camera. Yeah. Because it wasn't my- even red. It was black. <laughs> <laughs> it was a black camera. Yeah. The logo was red, though. Um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, that's really one of the top of the line cinema cameras that you can buy. Mm-hmm. I, I spent like $38,000 on it. Oh. Um, it was a massive investment. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was also a write-off for my business. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but uh, that was when I was doing freelance. I had a freelance filmmaking business. I was working with corporate clients. We were making films. But then I started a YouTube channel. And then when I started the YouTube channel, I realized this is actually slowing me down because the mm. file sizes are so big. It's a, it's a complicated camera to work and to edit with. Mm-hmm. And I realized if I actually simplified and I got a camera that was a fraction of the price. And also, I, like, I want to make it clear, any aspiring filmmakers or any creatives, like, you're going to feel like, oh, I need that 30000 that for whatever, like the really expensive camera mm-hmm. because it's going to make my video so much better. I have seen really no difference in terms of quality from the camera that I quote unquote downgraded to. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's actually made allowed me to move a lot quicker and a lot faster. And so more expensive isn't always better. Yeah. What I love about that is sometimes what we realize is the things we thought we needed, the tools that we needed, they slow us down. They get in the way. They're actually preventing us from creating the thing we want to create mm. because we're spending time sort of maintaining this this facade well i've got the red camera that's why you should hire me right mm-hmm. as opposed to well no i'm a great filmmaker that's why you should hire me i'm going to help you execute your vision that's why you should hire me and, and so what what you've identified there is that sometimes the things that we think we need the question i've been asking a lot of not just things but commitments obligations relationships recently is does this bring tranquility or does it increase my well-being? And if not, we should certainly let it go. And in the case of the the red for you is, no, it, it didn't bring you tranquility. It brought you the opposite. It was, it was added stress. And so letting go of that is the thing that brought you more tranquility in yeah. a way. Yeah, and I, I think I'm sure that you guys know this firsthand that constraints are often really powerful form of bringing creativity to life. Yeah. And so when you, we have constraints in everything we do. If you're a freelancer working on a project, there is the brief that the client gives you and that's the guidelines that you have to follow. And when you limit yourself with the amount of gear that you can have, say if you try to only create a video on the absolute essentials, just what you need in many ways you'll find out that yes you can move a lot quicker uh, you have to get more creative with certain shots uh, you might not have a crane to do an overhead shot so maybe you have to like gaff tape something up or you need to like rig something together that will work or you just change the angle mm-hmm. there are workarounds and there's different things that you can do uh, but it really uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually experimenting that with a little bit more myself now as I start to pare down some of my older gear realizing that maybe some of the things that I thought I needed uh, are, are were just once or they were nice to haves mm-hmm. um, and so I think as any kind of creative these are the, the questions you're going to have to deal with on a regular basis yeah, yeah. 
Catherine, um, we talked about a couple rules here today. The just-in-case rule, the just-for-win rule. Those are two separate rules. And we've got 16 of those rules in the Minimalist Rulebook. It's free. You can download it at theminimalists.com slash rulebook. There's an audiobook version available over there as well. But if you just want the free download, there's 16 rules for living with less. Theminimalists.com slash rulebook. I think you'll find some value in those rules. Julia from Connecticut has a question. I feel like I'm at a fork in the road and I don't exactly know which path to go down. I'm 27, single, debt-free, with a nice financial cushion. I just moved back in with my parents after living and working in London. So I want to pursue acting, specifically acting for film. The past few years, I have been acting in some indie films, and I really believe that acting is what I'm meant to do. I was a theater major in college, but I know that going to grad school on top of that degree would give me the formal training and professional connections that could really propel me forward in my career. So one path is a very expensive (laughs) but rewarding grad school education. The other path I see is to pick up and move to another city, start over, and pursue a career in acting without further education. So, Matt, uh, you know what's fascinating here about Julia's question is she said so many things here. By the way, congratulations. 27 being debt-free. It's incredible. Amazing. Yeah. That, that's awesome. You Because you're not tethered to anything right now, so the options you have are good options, yeah. right? Now, of course, you're debt-free, and one of those options is you're saying, maybe I want to take on some debt. Mm. <laughs> now, I would think about that. I'm going to throw one thing out there Matt and I want to hear you respond to this she said that she feels like acting is what she was meant to do I don't think you were meant to do anything I don't think you were born to be a filmmaker for example I think greatness comes from a strong desire the reason Matt is a great filmmaker and I mean that truly Matt you are a phenomenal filmmaker greatness comes from a desire it's not like if you didn't have the desire to tell stories to make films you, you would you would become great at something else uh, that you truly desired. And so a bunch of practice acting isn't what makes you great. It's the desire to act that leads to the practice that makes you great. Hmm. Yeah, I think that she is I, I, I think it's she's very fortunate in that she knows where she wants to head in life, the direction that she wants to head. I think mm-hmm. so many people are in this conflicted area where they're looking for purpose. And I think especially now during COVID, if there's one thing that's bringing to light what's truly most important in life, obviously relationships are health, but finding a purpose and having something that really fulfills us is truly important. So it's amazing that she's found that. I think that it's, yes, it's the desire. You need the drive to want to do it. I think to answer her question, whether she needs to take on this debt or not, Mm. I would definitely... It, say no, <laughs> please, <laughs> please do not go into debt. Yeah. I graduated college with uh, $97,000 in student loans and then I bought a brand new car. Oh, wow. And so then I was about $117,000 in debt. And I can't tell you just the amount of weight that put on my shoulders and also how much it limited me in the decisions that I could take going forward. Mm. There was the anxiety and the stress of every bill that came in. I'm talking $700 every month in payments that I had to pay off. Oh my God. And I knew that if, if I didn't make a change at that moment, then I would have to be paying this off for the next 20 years. Mm. Imagine having those expenses for 20, 30 years. And so definitely 
do anything you can to avoid that situation. And now it's easier than ever to, to be able to get the education you need and make the contacts and the connections that you need um, outside of going to college and outside of getting a college degree. Um, you I, know, I would say even so, filmmaking, you learn to make films not from what you did in college necessarily, but from actually doing the work. It's like, imagine imagine Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan going to basketball college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It would be like, well, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, but I need to read the textbook about about how to dribble. The history no, no. of basketball. Yeah. It's like those things are nice to know, the the, mm-hmm. the history of, of what you're doing, what you're pursuing. But acting or filmmaking or playing basketball, yeah. it's about doing. And the most you've learned from is actually camera in hand doing the work, right? Do, yeah. Do you, yeah, I was going to say, do you think you could be where you are now if you – didn't go to college like hindsight would you have been like oh hindsight do you think like oh maybe i shouldn't have gone and taken that degree i'm just curious. Uh, you know obviously looking back it it worked out <laughs> you right, know what i mean yeah, like yeah. going to college I, I i wouldn't wish that kind of debt on anybody mm-hmm. um i got the college experience which wasn't what it all was all cracked up to be mm-hmm. the going out partying drinking and doing all that mm-hmm. um you know it was one of those things that i felt like i had to do at the time but mm-hmm. uh it's it certainly now i i, I could have lived without it mm-hmm. and also you can go out party and drink yeah <laughs> without paying ninety seven thousand. <laughs> exactly yeah like you could do all these things like me, me making connections i mean yeah. the connections that I made while I was in college that allowed me to grow my business initially, make the connections that I did, that eventually led me to meeting you guys. Mm. Like there's these snowball of connections that you make early on in your younger adulthood that lead, as long as you um, are genuine and you're open and you're authentic and you are as a creative or a filmmaker, whatever it is, delivering to your clients, those connections will continue to flourish and spread to others. If you start cutting off bridges and you start like really disrupting those relationships, mm-hmm. then you're not going to see as many opportunities in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like I, I I, mean, there are very few, if any, obviously I made lots of great friends in college, mm-hmm. but very few relationships that have stuck through to this day, professionally mm-hmm. or personal. Mm-hmm. The, the connections that I did make were that eventually like led to these connections today were mm-hmm. all from people that I met outside of school. Mm. And Josh, to your point earlier, uh, I, you know, I definitely, I always tell people don't let your syllabus dictate like what you learn and what you do. Like you really have to learn outside of the classroom. Yeah. And I think that early on in college, like if you looked at those videos, especially compared to what I'm doing now, you'd be like, he's ta- terrible. <laughs> like he hasn't like, he's not going to go anywhere with this thing. But compared to a lot of people that were, at my age at that time, like in schools, they weren't, um, a lot of kids, 95% of people weren't applying themselves outside of the classroom. Mm. They were just following the syllabus, what the teacher told them to do, that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But it was that desire and that drive, like I just love to create. And if you love to create, if you love acting, Mm -hmm. then pour yourself into that. There are so, it's so much better to do it yourself, to find these small productions to work on than to try to follow the traditional route. Because the traditional route is crumbling, like the gatekeepers are falling away, and you need to really make your own path if you really want to make it in the industry. And by make it, I mean create a sustainable income doing what you love. I think that's like the goal for most creatives, like whether you're a stand-up comedian or an actress or actor, like you just want to do what you love mm. and get paid a decent salary doing that, it. That's a great point. So Julia, uh, please don't go into debt because if you do go into debt, when you come out of college, it's not going to be a get to, it's going to be a have to. You're going to have to make money from this in order to pay off your debt 
and that is a really good way to, to kill your passion or, or to kill your dream. One thing I'll add here too, Julia, uh, I, I have a lot of um, actor friends. Um, they're you know not major. I guess Lily Gladstone's a pretty major actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, long story short, I have talked to them about going to school for acting because I, I love to act. I've been in a couple plays. And uh, the way I... Um, describe myself as a very good amateur <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I actually told a director that once uh, during a reading I was like I just want to let you know like I'm an amateur but I'm a really good amateur and he laughed and chuckled and then we started getting into the play he's like you're exactly what you said you were like, you are a very good amateur <laughs> self-awareness <laughs> right key. exactly exactly but but uh, talking to my friends about going to acting school just to um, learn how to act they really every I'm not, not one of them has said yeah you should do that at some point and uh, yeah you should go for four years and, and get your acting degree or whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, what they have suggested is finding an acting coach mm-hmm. that that I connect with and that's really how uh, uh, you can pursue your career julia without going into a crazy amount of debt like find an acting coach make sure that you two click and then you can certainly uh get better at acting but please don't go into debt julia all right i just think we too often we confuse schooling with education and one does not necessarily equate to the other credentials often lead to mediocrity Mm. yeah i we Mm. didn't we didn't become friends with that podcast sean (laughs) (laughs) we didn't become friends with matt because he's a certified filmmaker right you know it's like that that doesn't matter your credentials often just mean that you learn you got the certificate Mm. you learned what was in the textbook but it doesn't mean that you did what was necessary to create something that is elite or great yeah and and I think that's true with any profession. The last thing I'll say for Julia and anyone else is if you find the thing that you love, that you really enjoy doing, mm-hmm. that is fun, that is not fun to other people, that is the place in which you will thrive. If it is a game for you to become the best actor, right? Because for me, that would be miserable. Being a, a, a director uh, would, would not be the thing I want to do either. It's not the game that I want to play, so to speak, right? And, and so I'm just, I would be discontented doing something like that. Now, Matt, I do want to talk to you about this on the, the actually, if we have time on the, the maximal, we'll, I think we'll cover it. There was a time when I remember you were first starting on your own and you're a filmmaker, but then you started like blogging and doing these other things that weren't weren't your thing necessarily because you saw someone else's path and you're like, I think I'll I'll try this. And when we do that, when we play someone else's game, I think it often leads to discontent. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, I mean, really when I made the transition from, it was right after we finished Minimalism. I Up until that point, I was a freelance filmmaker. filmmaker. I worked with nothing but clients and amazing clients, but I knew I was ready for a change. And I'd always want to be an original content creator, whatever that was. I always wanted to be able to create something myself and hopefully establish an audience that would be happy to pay for it mm. or watch it, consume mm-hmm. it. And so, uh, yeah, the first thing I did was because I was such a fan of bloggers uh, and essayists like you guys, I was like, oh, okay, like I'm going to start a blog and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and like, it was okay, but I I got like four posts in and then I just ran out of fuel (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, actually, what am I doing here? This is not who I am or this is not what really drives me the most. Mm. And that's when I started to lean into filmmaking and I was like, all right, well, let me do some podcasting and make videos and then eventually started making YouTube videos. And it's funny how like 
I wanted to experiment, which was great. And I definitely recommend everybody experiment with different things and tinker around to find out what you truly love to do. Mm-hmm. But I just found my way back to filmmaking because, you know, call it a calling, call it a drive or desire. That's just what I love to do. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, you, you'll find it and like, you'll know, like y- y- if you keep giving up within four days of starting something new, um, then it might not be for you. There yeah. needs to yeah. be that drive that's pushing you to keep going. For you, sure. You, you started over in a way. It wasn't a, well, it, it was, I mean, it was completely different from what you were doing before with the client work, the corporate work. It was filmmaking, but it was a different kind of creating. It was creating for you, not creating based upon the visions and expectations of of other people necessarily. And I love that the, the starting over thing, Ryan. When you were a kid growing up, and and you probably like to build some things with Legos or yeah. blocks yeah. or whatever. But what was do you remember the most fun part? At least for me, destroying the Legos. Exactly. <laughs> that that's exactly it. It, it. And and I think in a way. We actually enjoy the destruction more than we enjoy the creation. Mm. Here's what I mean by that. We need to find a healthy destruction because mm. many of us destroy things because we will go out and do opioids or we drink ourselves to a stupor or whatever. Yeah. That's a, uh, that is not a helpful destruction. But like I think about when you and I walked away from the corporate world. Yeah. We sort of destroyed that old life. Mm-hmm. And in many ways it was more enjoyable than creating that life was, right? Totally. And so I think, you know, Julia's at a crossroads right now. She's starting over. Yeah. Julia, I'm gonna send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's my favorite book that we've written. And it is a story of me and Ryan starting over this five-year journey of uh, Ryan and I being these suit and tie corporate guys becoming the minimalist first time we met Matt is he filmed the book trailer for that back in 2013 Mm. dude that was that was so I mean I just love the story of how we got to be Matt's friends we're gonna talk about that on the maximal yeah yeah talk about yeah just talk about making your own path I mean that's such a good story all right I won't I won't spoil it (laughs) all right well uh Julia uh, I hope you enjoy everything that remains if you like our podcast you'll like the audiobook version of that book or if you want the book book or the ebook we're happy to send those to you as well Ryan what time is it you know what time it is it is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages you can text your questions and comments directly to Joshua Milburn's phone. That phone number is 937-202-4654. Those texts actually go to both of our phones. Um, and we do personally respond to as many people as we can. We, we just can't... share a phone because yeah. we're minimalists. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't have any buttons either. <laughs> Make sure you sanitize it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I derailed you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, um, yeah, the, we, we use this app called Community. Ryan and I get the text. They go right to our phone. Uh, we respond to a lot of people. We also respond to some folks on the podcast. Now, Matt, you know this. During the lightning round, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they'd like. And by the way, you can find all of our Minimal Maxims in one place now minimalmaxims.com we have a question from mason mason wants to know what advice do you have for someone that's just starting out that wants to have a successful film career like you like you matt yeah What's, so this is me I, yeah because you, you, you don't actually have to be pithy you can monitor <laughs> no i was just thinking i was i was just thinking it would be funny like do you guys always put it in the in the show notes even if it's bad <laughs> because then i'm like just gonna say something ridiculous <laughs> and then you have to quote it and then people who are looking at the website are like what the heck is this well um, if it's really if it's really dumb we'll bleep it and we'll say it was profound yeah it and was we'll so profound up, yeah. that we could only share it on patreon oh yeah that's right okay well, if you want to be a successful filmmaker mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, if you want to be a success, you want to be a successful filmmaker like like you, like you. That's what it says. That's it. Yeah. Are you talking about me? Yes. Um, You know, maybe another way to look at this, Matt, is like when you think about that college kid, even before you got out of college. Like, what would what advice would you give yourself when you were yeah at that point in your life? Well, I think if you want to find success in any field, you need to first define what success is. That's that's it. That's <laughs> no, but like really, like yeah. you you have to no, figure out great. what because he's like saying like if you want to be successful like me, it, it really depends. Like a lot of times, what it looks like I do isn't actually what I do because mm. like you mm. see like if you love my YouTube videos or you love the um, like the films that I make, the feeling that you get when when you watch that isn't necessarily the feeling that I have when I'm making it. Right. It's still like a thrill. I love doing it. It's creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. But you really need to make sure that you actually love the process of filmmaking and whatever part of that process it is, whether it's the editing or the directing or the filming, uh, I happen to love all of it. And so I think you really have to make sure that uh, if you love what you do, then I really think that that's success. And so, I mean, it just takes... Ooh, that's work. a good pithy one too. If you yeah. love yeah. what you do, that's success. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's you good. found it. Okay. <laughs> well, Matt, let, let me talk Done. to you about that real quick because I, I and maybe this is a generational thing. Ryan and I are cuspers, right? We're, we're technically Gen X, or Ryan is the the youngest Gen Xer I know. Um, or he's, it is true. Or he's the oldest millennial I know. Yeah, I'm not one sure or the which. other. Yeah. And, or maybe I'm the oldest millennial. I, I don't just know. claim whatever's convenient that day is what I claim. Well, here's the thing: what I've noticed, people younger than than me and Ryan, mm-hmm. and the younger it gets, especially like like young millennials, older Gen Z folks, they they define success by numbers because we have we've created a metric for everything mm. it, or and when andrew schultz was on here he goes i don't understand why jay-z wants to be a billionaire like <laughs> now you're just the brokest billionaire yeah. he's like or, or if you just convert right. if you convert those dollars to pounds now you're not a billionaire anymore yeah it also i think it's also like when we see that when we see the numbers and i i know i certainly felt this way like when you see somebody who has two million or three million subscribers on youtube you think that that's like a feeling, like they have a fe- oh, like now I have two million or three, but like whatever, like you think it's gonna actually solve all of your problems. Mm. And I think this is like what we hear a lot with people who uh, make a lot of money. They realize that oh, I made all this money, and I realize it didn't make me happy. Yeah. So many people say, well, of course, like it's nice for you to say that because you have all the money. But uh, Jim Carrey said, like, who else is gonna be able to say that from somebody who's experienced it and realized it actually doesn't bring happiness? Right. right. And like I can tell you firsthand, uh, have zero subscribers and three million yes it allows me certain things it allows me to create videos and like it's amazing but like i don't it doesn't change who you are it, right. sh- it shouldn't <laughs> like no. maybe yeah. there are some people who build up these big followings and then their ego gets inflated but i would say that those people probably had egos to begin with yeah mm. and that the, the following didn't help them are you any happier at three million than you were at one million or two million no i think that like obviously like over the past couple years though like i've had ups and downs and like i've had to deal with the the struggles of like the pressure of creating for an audience that wants to hear from you and sometimes it's made you i mean just based on your videos it's made you less tranquil yeah it's decreased your well-being because of chasing those numbers right Mm. yeah and not even intentionally chase them and i will say matt it hasn't changed you at all and i I love that about you who you are as a person but there are 
you felt some additional pres- pressure that probably decreased your well-being. Yeah, I think that that's like if it did change me, it, it added more stress, anxiety and pressure, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which like that's what, uh, quote unquote, like the typical measures of success can do. And um, so I think that uh, for me and also like it, it does come to a degree. And I know that you guys feel this as well. When you love your work, you pour yourself into it. Yeah. And it's hard to find that line of like overworking and then burnout and like, how do I manage this? And I think the added pressure of people waiting to hear from you maybe made that worse for me. And so, you know, just Hmm. like where we were talking about earlier, like minimalism is about you continue to ask yourself these questions about what you need and it changes over time. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to check in with yourself uh, as a creator or as somebody who's building an online following to make sure that you're not doing it for the metrics and you don't feel like you have to do it and that you actually want to do it and that Mm -hmm. you get to do it. It's one of my favorite things about Netflix is they don't share the metrics with us. Yeah. Like I know just because of how often people recognize us from the first film. I know a lot of people saw it, but I, I can't tell you whether it was, 30 million or 70 million like and it doesn't really matter i don't feel any more successful today in 2021 than i did in 2011 Mm. uh, because success for me had involved a certain amount of freedom and and being financially free being untethered to obligations being unattached to the desires Mm -hmm. Uh, desires great attachment is suffering Mm -hmm. though right my my pithy answer for mason is no one can be a better you than you Mm. and i think the one of the problems we seek is like hey how can i be matt diavella well if you you want to be an off-brand matt diavella you could there are plenty of them out there they come up in my youtube (laughs) all the time Um, oh it's nice i like it (laughs) (laughs) i find it flattering hi i'm I'm dat mia (laughs) vello the funny thing i I see is like someone tries to make videos like matt and they use like our rules without attributing it so it's like Mm. they're taking the minimalist sort of written philosophy yeah they they try to mimic matt's style and it just comes off as like it's a great point it's like you're eating at a, a a fake McDonald's, like a North Korean McDonald's or something. It's like, yeah. what? This table? I, think, well, I yeah. think, yeah, it's okay to be inspired. And I think yes. that some, sometimes people yeah. confuse what maybe is the thing. So whether it's like copying thumbnails and like, I certainly pulled tons of inspiration when I started from other people and mm-hmm. like, what was going to work for the thumbnail? And, and and I think sometimes we confuse what's actually the important part of that, the important ingredient. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're just getting started out, like go, copy my style, do like whatever it is so then you can learn. Mm-hmm. But you're probably not going to be able to build an audience doing the same thing that I did just like Casey Neistat or Peter McKinnon and other YouTubers that I follow like if I did exactly what they did I probably wouldn't be successful well it's interesting it makes me think about how in other countries we have like in in Brazil there's a Portuguese minimalism website that someone has literally copied and pasted everything that we've done and they just have put it into Portuguese and they have called it their own and (laughs) guess what they're not as successful as us and and that's for a couple reasons like uh, one um, they're not Josh and Ryan. They're not as awesome as us. Mm-hmm. But no, r- really, even if, let's say you do mimic someone perfectly, then like you said, Josh, when someone notices that, oh, this person is mimicking the minimalists, mm-hmm. then they become a bit of an off brand. Like mm-hmm. they, they don't, they don't, uh, they're not as well regarded as, as you and I. Uh, maybe people do read their work and they're great and it's great that it's in Portuguese and I'm actually grateful that someone did that just so our work can be you know translated into Portuguese but as soon as someone sees like oh this is just an off-brand Josh and Ryan 
um, that is going to prevent them from, I don't know, being successful or getting the credit that they could be getting by doing their own work. Even if they blew up, though, because mm-hmm. yeah. I know I know some people who have literally like taken the scripts from my videos and yeah. then done it themselves. Mm. Um, and then they've uh, even taken the identical thumbnail and like everything. They've copied it verbatim. Yeah. And they have like big followings, like they're overseas, they speak a different language, but they have 500,000 to a million views on these videos that are my videos that they're recreating, but not telling anybody. Mm. And I think it's dirty, I think it's gross. And I I don't think that that's right. I don't think any creative should should steal somebody's work. Um, But like, like, is he happy? Like, right. are you happy? I like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, do, I don't do it for the point. numbers. I do it because like, I love making those videos. And if you want to steal it, go ahead. But that's yeah. not going to make you happy at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's really your own unique creations that are going to make you happy. Um, yeah. Well, here's, here's my pithy answer. Pithy answer for Mason. Success without adding value is failure. So focus on adding value and uh, we'll talk about it in the maximal episode, but that's Matt, how I think about your career. Like you found ways to add value and um, you continue to do that. And that is why you are so successful. The other thing I was thinking too, there's something about, um, there's something about, there's something pithy with uh, success has nothing to do with metrics. It has something to do with a feeling. So success is a feeling, Mm. not a metric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all depends on how we define success. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems is we're chasing happiness. And right. if you're chasing happiness, there's always a discontent. So you're asking if that, that guy's happy who's making the, you know, the Matt Diavella videos in Russian or whatever. Like, uh, he he probably isn't, but he's also probably chasing it. Yeah. And that's probably why he isn't actually, he, he's seeing what Matt's doing and just copying. That, yeah. That's not to say that you shouldn't, as Matt said, be inspired by people. And in fact, even take their recipe and tweeze out a few ingredients. Yeah. The thing that's worked, and Ryan and I always go back and credit the people who inspired of us course. early on. Joshua Becker, Leo Babalta, mm-hmm. Courtney Carver, Colin Wright. Or we, even with this podcast, we've got, yeah, we've got the Love Podcast and we've got Rogan and we've got a lot of people who we took ingredients from. Yeah, yeah. And, and so when, whenever we, we do something, you can attribute it. And, and have your own ingredients, but you're creating your own new recipe. And that, that's what Matt has obviously done with his filmmaking. Yeah. And I totally agree with you, Ryan. You, it's really, ultimately, if you're, at, if you're not adding value, you, you can't be successful. You're not going to feel successful. Yeah. Speaking of adding value, before we get into that added value segment today, we have some listener tips. But first, it looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, Matt. Like, why did you choose Netflix over the other platforms to release Less Is Now? Is film, if, wait, if filmmaking had not worked out for Matt, what would he be doing instead? Uh, what do you plan to do for your next film project? I'm imagining Uh-oh. Matt would be, uh, open up a pasta shop. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? Nice. That's what, an inside joke, but we will let you in on it uh, <laughs> on, during the maximal. What are your favorite lines that didn't make the film? What are your favorite lines from the film as well? Why did Matt wear the same T-shirt for three years straight? Plus a million more questions for Matt Diavella and The Minimalist. And if you want to hear all that, subscribe to our Maximal episodes on The Minimalist private podcast. It's a completely separate podcast and it's the most honest way for The Minimalist to earn an income because we don't do advertisements. By the way, if you're not a private podcast supporter, you're literally missing two thirds of our show plus hundreds of hours of past private episodes. So try it out for a week or a month. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Head on over to theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. 
Hi, this is Rachel Richards, and I'm from the Dallas, Texas area, and I just wanted to give you guys an idea. Everyone always asks, you know, what to give for gifts because they don't want to, you know, add to someone else's extra stuff, you know. And so um, I came up with an idea of making videos for my family and posting them on Facebook, and they're they're usually funny videos, and that's their birthday present from us. And they love it. They absolutely love it, and they can share it with their friends, and it's just been a big hit. And it's free, and it's kind of like, you know, giving the experience, but especially if you can't be with that family member on their birthday. It's really, it's cool. This is Cecilia Duffy from Geneva, Ohio. I have some tips for helping to minimize your food preparation to keep things healthy, yet not taking time daily to cook. This opens up time to pursue those things that you value. I'm recently widowed and my daughter is away at college, so it is only me to cook for most of the time. Due to my life change and challenges, I am working longer hours to support myself and daughter. As a chiropractor, a core value of mine is to eat healthy and organic, but I don't want to take the time to cook on a daily basis like I did when I worked part-time and was feeding my family of three. On Sunday mornings, I put on the newest podcast of The Minimalist and head to the kitchen to cook for the week. It takes me less than two hours to cook for the week and clean up the kitchen. This will work for those who don't mind eating the same thing for a week at a time. For breakfasts, I cook up turkey sausage and have fresh fruit available. Other breakfasts include my homemade granola with almond milk and nuts. For lunch, this is where I get my daily greens. I use a very large Tupperware container and place washed lettuces, radishes, shredded carrots, cukes, olives, etc., all ready to go. I top this salad with prepared proteins. I cook up lean proteins like chicken, turkey, and fish, enough to last for all lunches and dinners for the week. I buy enough to allow four ounces per serving. I figure out how many times I plan to eat out that week and adjust accordingly. For dinner, I make ahead tons of roasted, steamed, or sautéed vegetables. I will make one starch a week to eat with dinner, rotating between rice, quinoa, pasta, or sweet potatoes. Other times, I will make a large pot of soup or stew that incorporates all the food types, a protein, starch, and lots of veggies. For snacks, I make a homemade trail mix with raw nuts, raisins, dried cherries, and apples. Celery with almond butter and raisins is another favorite. Nut or granola bars also work for snacks. All foods are placed in separate containers in the refrigerator. I use a stainless steel container with a BPA-free lid called Lunchbots. I buy only what I need for the week. This keeps costs down, and I don't have a lot of unused food sitting in a pantry. When my daughter is home from school, I just increase the amounts that I cook to accommodate feeding her as well. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Matt Diavella for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I don't do a lot of podcast stuff, so yeah, it's no, always great to hang out with you guys. Yeah, it's awesome having you, man. Thank you. You just, you just started something called uh, slowgrowth.com, Slow Growth Academy. Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, my God. This was my big project for the year. It was something that I had been talking about doing for a very long time. Um, you know, I make these videos on YouTube that are usually around 10 minutes long and they usually dive into different narrow aspects of of certain topics, whether Mm -hmm. it's personal finance or habits or productivity. 
And so what I wanted to do with slow growth and I, I was able to, to bring on my brother, hire him full time and as well as my wife, Natalie, to help build this company mm. was to create really intentional, thoughtful courses um, that help dive deeper into these topics that I'm really passionate and interested in. Mm. And so the for- first course that we launched was on habits. It's called Simple Habits and it guides people through how to build habits for themselves. It really pulls primarily on my experience, but also dives into the science of habit change and, and mm. how change really works. And, you know, I, I, I'm somebody who grew up like always struggling with being the smallest kid in school, always mm. struggling to put on weight, build healthy habits, build a successful business. And I found myself stumbling and stumbling. And it was through the trial and error that I was able to figure out what was working and what wasn't working. And also just reading a lot of books and and, and people who have helped to, to put me on that right path. And so that's the first course. The idea isn't to have a course platform, like Slow Growth Academy is the course platform, and then Simple Habits is our first course. But the idea isn't to have hundreds and hundreds of courses. Uh, it's really probably one or two courses a year, but really mm. thoughtful, really intentional. I wanted to do something different and really be- bring high production value cinematography to courses in a way that hasn't been done before and isn't done often online. Mm-hmm. And I'm really pa- uh, proud of what we've created and we've been getting some awesome feedback from people so far and for me and i know you guys know this firsthand like the 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 biggest feedback that i get is when somebody tells me that it's helped them or that they're like 30 days in or i'm 40 days in and i've been running every day and i'm building these habits and um you know habit change and lifestyle changes are not a straight line there's so many ups and downs Mm -hmm. and so um being able to to build something that could potentially help people to get where they want to go has been very fulfilling now Mm -hmm. if i sign up for this will you teach me how to have biceps like yours that's some people people have been (laughs) requesting this (laughs) i may or may not be working on simple biceps <laughs> yes that's awesome <laughs> yeah all right check it out slowgrowth.com for our added value this week uh might as well just talk about matt diavella's youtube channel yeah um man i'm really proud of what you've done man i really am just so proud to see what you've done the last three four five years i'm proud and- but i'm more jealous than proud <laughs> <laughs> well that's your own yeah. ego yeah um, absolutely <laughs> i i it couldn't have happened to a better person yeah. and, and the work that you've put in and you create these beautiful meaningful mini documentaries that are like nine minutes regularly if not every week i mean doing a nine minute documentary a month is in the the quality of yeah. your work so i would just encourage folks to check out your, yeah. your youtube channel thanks Heck guys. Yeah. that really means a lot it's awesome we'll put a link to it in the show notes uh, real quick for right here right now here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist and also in the life of matt diavella go watch less is now go watch matt's film <laughs> <laughs> it's on it's on netflix uh you can check it out there we'll put a link to the trailer in the show notes how have you been describing this film to people Oh, I, I, I mean, you know, it, it, since it's changed so much, so much, we we kind of sometimes get stuck in the original version of it. But it really is a documentary, mm-hmm. and I know that you you might call it a docu special because there is this element of you guys just telling your story straight to the camera. Mm-hmm. But but really, it's it's a documentary. That's yeah. that's what it feels like. It, it dives so deep into your guys' story, but it also talks about the culture that we live in in general, and also how to work our way out of this consumer cycle that we're in Mm. if i could describe it in one line and we'll expand on this during the maximal Mm. it's erwin is in the film erwin Erwin mcmanus and he has this line toward uh well the middle ish in indish and he says i think everyone should be able to etch a sketch their life yeah 
And if you were to, I mean, you need a, a, a tagline for the film. I think it's that. Yeah. Here's how to etch a sketch your life. Mm. And I mean, I, I love it. There are so many lines that didn't make the film that I loved as well because we had so much stuff. We'll be talking about that in a moment. I, before, I was sort of treating it as a sequel and a prequel to minimalism. It's neither because documentaries don't usually have prequels. <laughs> but like in a way, it kind of is that. Mm. So I encourage you to check it out. It's called Less Is Now. It's on Netflix uh, this Friday, January 1st, 2021. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at The Minimalist. You can follow Matt Diavella. He's at Matt Diavella, mm-hmm. at Italian Stallion <laughs> on, on MySpace. We need to come up with that Twitter handle. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or a minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash the minimalists and if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list over at the minimalists.com you'll receive our simple sunday emails as well and if you leave here today with one message we hope it's this love people and use things because the opposite never works thanks for listening y'all we'll see you next time every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it